Welcome to the Overcoming Sexual Abuse Podcast, where you get the tools and inspiration to help you overcome childhood sexual abuse. I'm your host, Christina Anavoldson, certified coach, author, and incest survivor, and I'm here to help you heal and live your very best life. Toxic shame and abuse go hand in hand. I'll share the purpose of shame, the difference between healthy shame and toxic shame, and how that comes in. Because chances are, if you're already carrying it, you're vulnerable to more. I'll help you process the shame and protect yourself from more coming in. Before we talk about shame, we need to talk about equal value. All humans are equally valuable simply for existing. We don't have to do anything to earn our value and we can't do anything to lose our value. And that's a model of the world that makes it impossible for abuse to happen. Because abuse is the assertion, I'm more valuable than you, so I have a right to do this to you. And while that's likely not overtly spoken, but the act of abuse implies that. And victims understand that message very well. In abuse, there's no paradigm for equal value. There's only under or over someone else. And value isn't inherent, it's earned and lost. When people deny inherent and equal value, they replace it with a system of superiority and inferiority. And a hierarchy of value determines who is first in line to be loved or treated with honor. And value is viewed as this limited resource and has to be earned, competed for, fought for, or stolen. In other words, you have to do or have something to become worthy and valuable. And that might be through money or possessions. It might be through appearance, knowledge or intelligence. might be through skin color, race or ethnicity, authority or position. It could be strength or size, talent or skill, or achievement. And in this system of earned value, it's survival to believe that something you do or have increases or decreases your worth. And the more you work or suffer or sacrifice or take care of someone else or fix something about yourself, the more you achieve or accumulate or know, the more worthy, important, or valuable that you are. As children, we don't yet have this solid sense of ourselves, so we're particularly sensitive to the values and judgments of others, especially our parents. And any society works because people follow certain expected standards or ideals of behavior. And there's a healthy shame around that, that healthy shame is what keeps your place within a society and creates an environment that offers stability and a sense of certainty. So we're wired to be sensitive to and adapt to standards. And usually that's a good thing. An example of that is running around naked. As a child, you probably didn't have a problem with that. It didn't matter who saw you, where you were. But as you get older, then you develop a healthy shame that restrains you from exposing yourself to everyone. And that's because of our cultural norms. And that's healthy shame. Each group of people has its own standards or ideals. And what a group values That's not necessarily right or wrong, good or bad. They are simply a reflection of what is important to that group of people. 
So shame is triggered when you sense that you're not accepted or you fear you won't be accepted. And it's that warning that your place in the tribe could be at risk. And that's really terrifying because throughout human history, belonging to a group has been absolutely necessary for survival. Added to that, until our very recent past, there was very little chance of being accepted into another group if you were kicked out of your original tribe. So shame has served an important part of both individual survival and the survival of our species. And because shame has been such a vital tool for survival, shame is one of the most intense emotions we can feel. And when you experience shame, you might believe that the intensity of the shame reflects the intensity of your defectiveness or worthlessness or your lack of value. However, the truth is the intensity of the shame you sense is only a reflection of your desire to belong. So let's talk about healthy shame versus toxic shame. So healthy shame is that sense that you're being disapproved of by the group and that tells you there's something you must say or do to regain acceptance. And healthy shame may feel like it's all-encompassing, but it's, you know, it's as though you're completely bad, but that's just a feeling. It's only addressing a part of you. And standards or ideals are, like I said, important for a community of people, but when they become destructive is when they are used as a way to rate a person's value. That's when it becomes toxic. So toxic shame comes not from doing something wrong, but from the sense that there is something wrong with you. And that can come actually from someone else doing something wrong to you. You were treated as though you didn't have any value. Maybe love was withdrawn. And you feel like you're bad. You feel worthless or defective. So remember, with healthy shame, there's an action you can take to redeem yourself. But with toxic shame, you're inherently unacceptable and unlovable. And there's nothing you can do to rid yourself of the shame. So you just stay on this hamster wheel, trying and trying, but never quite earning that status of worthy. And an adaptive response to toxic shame is to cover it or to earn acceptance another way. You might appear the smartest or the strongest or the prettiest or the richest, the most fun or the most helpful. And those are based on earned value. And since they aren't based on the truth, those masks eventually become really heavy burdens. So let's talk about the origins of toxic shame. No matter the form of abuse, whether that's emotional, verbal, physical, or sexual, the main weapon is toxic shame because toxic shame tells you there's something wrong with you at your core. And there are various ways that that can come in. And I like to divide them between the category of passive ways and active ways. The passive origins of shame might come through neglect or inattention or non-responsiveness, an unavailable caregiver, an absent caregiver, distracted caregiver, 
And so if you didn't get enough attention, you may have gotten the message, I'm not important. I'm not as interesting as mom's phone. Ouch. To children, everything is personal. So you thought it meant you were somehow defective or deserving of it or in some way less valuable than other humans. And it makes sense that you might think that you could feel better about yourself through someone else or through some other external thing, since that's the way it came in. But the work of lifting shame is internal work on your own thoughts and beliefs. And as long as you focus on external ways to earn your sense of worth, you remain in that perpetual cycle of never enough. You're not getting into the new system of equal value. You're getting in that old system of earned value. So ideals can serve you because, oh, what's we need I, these ideals. It protects us. It keeps a culture together. It keeps community together. So we need agreed upon ideals. But what happens if that's toxic? So ideals can serve you when you use them as aspirations, but they can also enslave you when you use them as required achievements. So do you say these things to yourself? If only I blank, then I'd love myself. Or, if only I blank, then I'd consider myself important. I only deserve love if I blank. Or, I'll only be worthy if I blank. So, can you imagine withholding your love from your child? Would you tell your own child he or she isn't valuable unless they achieve something, unless they reach some goal? But what are you saying to the child within you? Do you think it's any less harmful if you withhold love from yourself? When Don and I moved to LA, we joined a group that had this orientation for people who were new to the city. It was awesome. And I was 39. And even though I looked 29 and I had a healthy looking body, I felt old and fat. In a city full of beautiful people, I felt like I did not belong there. I felt like people were pointing at me and whispering, what is she doing in our city? And at that newcomer orientation, the person running the meeting said something that was pretty shocking to me. She said, everyone here feels like a poser. And she said that the entertainment industry is run on insecurity. And I started to look around and see that people pour in from all around the country and the world and they want to be rich or famous and they want to cover for the feelings that they aren't enough. It's an attempt to hide or distract from feeling that worthlessness and that defectiveness that we talked about. The gloss and the glamour are all a facade. I know not everyone's like that, but... It's a huge part of it. So that was really eye-opening to me, but I was still full of shame. I was afraid to let my own facade slip for fear that I'd actually show how unworthy I was. So other people only felt unworthy. I actually was unworthy. So we lived in LA seven years, and the last year or so was pretty rough. 
we ended up losing just about every material thing that we owned and had to sleep on the floor of our friend's one-bedroom apartment. <laughs> Not a great time. So I'd been covering my shame by wearing the right clothes and driving the right car and living in the right zip code, and I just couldn't pretend anymore. <laughs> All of that stuff was completely stripped away. And on top of that, my marriage was in trouble, and I received notice that my parents were suing me. I felt like the rest of the world was going on with life, happy and successful. I imagined people passing me, gawking at me in judgment, saying, wow, you don't deserve to be anywhere but where you are right now. You're being punished for pretending to be one of us. And at my lowest, I had this life-changing moment. I had a vision of myself in this kind of underbelly of the world. And it was absolutely full of people who were in just as much pain as I was. And they weren't trying to cover anything up. They weren't trying to claim it was fine. They weren't putting on this false smile. They were all just right where they were and raw and vulnerable and authentic and Wow, it was comforting to sense that we were all on this together. Without our habitual facades, there wasn't anything separating us. You know, we could just be present in the shared experience of misery. <laughs> and I felt such a connection with them. And that felt sense of connection transformed the pain that I was in. I still had this sensation of pain, but it didn't feel like I needed to escape it. It felt tolerable and even meaningful. And I saw something else. Those people I felt so connected with were parts of people. And the other part of the people that I was with were still walking around in the surface of the world, trying to appear perfect, fearing exposure, fearing not belonging and covering it up with all of those pretty distractions. And I felt so much compassion for those people who still thought that they had to pretend. They didn't know that real belonging comes from being real. And they didn't know that when they showed their imperfections, they could really be loved for who they are. And so I began to connect more with people in their pain, even if they weren't directly expressing it, even if they were still trying to hide it. I wanted to say to them, you're worthy of being loved exactly the way you are. And shame feels as though you're all alone and nobody else experiences it. Whoever your group is, you might think they're not broken in this way. And the sense that you're somehow not part of the human family is absolutely excruciating. But actually, shame is a common human experience that we all feel. <laughs> And that means that shame is the feeling of being separated, but it actually binds us together. Shame connects us because we all want to belong. I love this quote from Carl Rogers. It says, the things that we feel most separate us from one another are actually the ones that we have most in common. That's certainly true of shame. All right, I want to take you through a little exercise. So as I read this, pay attention to how your mind, emotions, and body respond to this. Every human is 100% worthy and 100% lovable. I am already as worthy and lovable as possible. 
My worthiness is already at capacity. There is nothing I can do to add to my value or take away from it. There is nothing I have ever done to become less worthy or less lovable. I have the same worthiness if my parents were unspeakably abusive or if my parents cherished me. If I lost all my money and all my friends, I'm still worthy. If I cheat on my spouse, I'm still worthy. No matter what my parents told me, no matter what other kids told me, no matter what any teachers told me, no matter what my boss told me, I am and always have been 100% worthy. Better looking can't increase my worthiness. Skinnier can't, richer can't, smarter can't, more generous can't. Changing what I will do will never make me more good enough than I already am. I am already good enough and there is nothing I can do to increase or decrease that. I am enough. Okay, what did you notice in your body? What did you notice in your emotions or in your mind? What specific line resonated with you? And what stood out to you that you said, no way, I would never believe that? You can use that to kind of gauge where you're at. And we're not going to try to convince the brain of anything. The more you try to convince the brain, the more it will resist. But what we're going to do is we're going to just change two words. So as I read this again, pay attention to what's going on in your mind and your emotions and your body. How do they respond? And see if it's any different. What if every human is 100% worthy and 100% lovable? What if I'm already as worthy and lovable as possible? What if my worthiness is already at capacity? What if there's nothing I can do to add to my value or take away from it? What if there's nothing I have ever done to become less worthy or less lovable? What if I have the same worthiness if my parents were unspeakably abusive or if my parents cherished me? What if I lost all my money and all my friends and I'm still worthy? What if I cheat on my spouse and I'm still worthy? What if no matter what my parents told me, no matter what other kids told me, no matter what any teachers told me, no matter what my boss told me, I am and always have been 100% worthy? What if better looking can increase my worthiness? What if skinnier can't? What if richer can't? What if smarter can't? What if more generous can't? What if changing... What I do will never make me more good enough than I already am. What if I'm already good enough and there's nothing I can do to increase or decrease that? What if I am enough? Did you notice anything different? What did you notice in your body or your emotions and your mind? What lines specifically resonated with you? And... Did you notice the same level of resistance? As I was dealing with the toxic shame, there were three things that I found really helpful for me to tell myself. And that is, I accept that I'm human. I make mistakes and learn from them. I accept that I belong with other imperfect humans 
and I accept that life involves both joy and pain. Now, when you experience that sense of shame, I'm going to give you two ways to support yourself in that. And one is to name the emotion. Say, I feel shame. And you might acknowledge to yourself, this is painful or this is difficult. You might remind yourself that I want to belong. I don't feel like I belong. And allowing yourself to name it begins to relieve some of that suffering because you're connecting with yourself. And remember, shame is that sense of disconnection. So creating the space around it can help you deal with it in the same way that a loved one paying attention to you can help you. The second step is reminding yourself of common humanity. And that's acknowledging that though you may feel alone, you're not really alone. You can say to yourself, I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only one. This is part of what it means to be human. And this connects me to all other humans. They also know what it feels like to feel left out. And you can ask yourself, how does this experience connect me to others? How can I use this experience to connect with others? And I'll give you a little hint. Me sharing my story about my shame is what helps me feel connected to you. So those are some things that you can do to get started. If you want to work through your shame in more depth, I have a worksheet to continue these exercises and more so you can stop carrying the shame of the past and so you can be alert to it so it doesn't come in anymore and you can protect yourself from more shame. To download that for free, go to the show notes page at overcomingsexualabuse.com forward slash 003. And when you download that, be sure to accept my invitation to subscribe to my emails and I'll send you lots more helpful healing tips and resources. So thanks for joining me today. I'm bringing you lots more on healing and boundaries and self-care and family dysfunction. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the good stuff. <laughs>